I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week I am thrilled to have Coach Rick Macy as my guest. Many of you will know Rick from his work with Venus and Serena Williams. Maybe you saw the movie King Richard and learned about him there. He's worked with players such as Andy Broddick, Maria Sharapova, going back to Jennifer Capriati. Um, Rick just has an incredible coaching resume. He is a Hall of Fame coach. He coaches to this day, not only high performance players and professionals, but also works with People like me who just want to play better in their league uh, tennis. So Rick is just a real gem and I'm thrilled to have him on and to have him share his coaching philosophy with the Parenting Aces audience. Before I get to that, though, just a quick reminder, if you haven't become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, we'd love to have you. Go to ParentingAces.com, click on the Join button, and you will have full access to all of our content, all of our podcasts, uh, free shipping on our merch, and also you will get complimentary consultations with me. So now I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Coach Rick Macy. Welcome to Parenting Aces, Rick Macy. We are thrilled to have you. It's been a long time coming, but um, we're just so excited to get to pick your brain a little bit today. No, I'm glad to be here. I just jumped off the core, got a lot of good information. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the Parenting Aces audience, I, I hope, knows your name as one of the top coaches in the U.S., knows your name in relation to Serena and Venus Williams and with the King Richard movie coming out last year. Um, you got a lot of positive press around that. And, and I thought that movie, well, you can tell me, but I thought that movie did a great job of portraying your involvement with their development and your relationship with the family in general. Yeah. You know, I didn't know exactly how the story was going to be told, you know, and that's one thing that really uh, made me happy because a, it showed I took a big chance. You know, it's one thing to say, I believe in you and I'll help you out. It's another thing to put your money in there, you know, with a motor home and a house and a car and I could go on and on and on, but it's what I saw under the hood with Venus and Serena. And I had this belief, you know, so uh, I'm glad that part came out because it's one thing, like I said, I want to help you or I believe in you. It's another thing to fund or bankroll the whole project because nothing's a guarantee. It could have catastrophically blown up. You know, I sure. could have been wrong. I could have been wrong. So that part uh, was amazing because I'm glad they told that part. I kind of knew where it was going to go. And the second part, it showed how much I cared for the girls. They were like my own daughters. And Richard was my best friend. I tell people I should be in the Hall of Fame just putting up with that guy. You know what I'm saying? But no, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was we're on a mission as me and him against the world. And so, uh, no, the movie was great. The only thing that was different, I had a little mustache. I was like a piece of AstroTurf and John Bernthal had this big bushy thing. But other than that, uh, it was the movie was so accurate. You have no idea That's from awesome. the walk, the talk, 
the nuances, the way Will played Richard, uh, Sanaya and Dem. I mean, it was crazy because yeah. no one knew this any better than Rick Macy, other than maybe we're seen. So the movie was incredible. Yeah, that's cool. Well, our last episode of the podcast was focused around the notion of talent ID and the limitations of talent ID. So I'm really curious to hear your perspective and what specifically you have seen in some of these athletes that have gone on to have incredible professional tennis careers that made you willing to take that risk and willing to kind of you know, work with the families and help them understand why they also needed to stay the course and, and go on this journey with their children. Yeah. First off, great question. You know, and I tell everybody, okay, what you may see is different than Rick may see. So that's a whole different thing. You know, evaluating talent is all in the eye of the beholder. You know, I look at this thing very, very differently simply because I've had so many kids at a young age and I can kind of feel a little easier with the girls because it's not as physical, mm. you know, um, and kind of where this was going from Jennifer to Sharapova to Kenan uh, to Venus and Serena, you know, all these kids I've had, you know, from say nine to 14, what I look for first off is what's inside. Now that can be cultivated later you know, the brain develops later, but I look for that first, how they compete, just the attitude. If that's already there and kind of baked in extra crispy, that sure helps, you know, from from my evaluation point of view. Hmm. And like with Venus and Serena, there was like a rage and there was a burning desire. I never saw two little kids try so hard. Now, I have a lot of kids that try hard and that doesn't mean you're going to be world champion, but their nose was that far off the ground when they're running for a ball and they were nine and 10 and I've had tens of thousands of parents look at that video when I had them and said, my kid's better than that. Cause they saw arms and legs and hair and bees flying everywhere. And I saw something different. I not only thought they could be number one in the world. And this was the early nineties. Uh, Cause if you were big and strong, you weren't nimble. I thought they could transcend the sport. And that's why, and there was two, and that's why I right. took the chance. But I look for that first. And then obviously the genetics. Richard and Orsine with Venus and Serena, they hit the genetic jackpot, mm. you know, especially with Serena, you know. So all those boxes were checked. Where Sharapova, uh, the mobility maybe wasn't amazing or the agility. So she had to be trained differently. With Jennifer, she was like a wizard. Kenan, mentally, she had it. Scariest little creature ever taught. And I'm saying that at five <laughs> years old. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I've these, seen those yes, videos. <laughs> all these all, all these people, I've, I've kind of said it. It's not like I say it about everybody. Right. So I look for the athleticism and the genetic base. Parents played football, baseball, basketball, Olympics. You know, the genetics play a lot. Okay, mm -hmm. but the mental part, if that's kind of there, the heavy lifting, the biomechanics, the technical, the strategic, I can put Humpty Dumpty together a little different than most people. And if you look at most of the people I've taught, um, they all play the same. They got different bodies. They have different genetics, but they all take it early. They cut the court. They play the ball. And I build a player differently. And I always look at the future. I never look at, okay, I wanted to be number one in the 12s. That could happen, but I'm always looking at a bigger picture. But I think the athleticism is number one. 
And then the genetics would be number two. But if the mental part is there, and listen, Serena was a prankster. I didn't see it at first, but I saw she had all the time in the world. She knew where you're going to hit it before you did. Venus was more stick to it. Capriati was already like a little wizard. Great fundamentals by the late Jake, uh, great Jimmy Everett. Sharapova was in a bubble. And mm -hmm. Kennan, her timing was inc incredible. But it, now you got to cultivate it. And you got to build it. It's not just going to happen. Okay. You people mess this thing up a lot. So that's kind of what I look for. And then the parents, I train the parents as much as I do the kids because they got to understand it's junior development. It's not junior final destination. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. You know, the more you lose, you're going to succeed and you got to build this thing. It's a tough sell because everybody wants it right now. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of parents get caught in the trap of, you know, what's the other kid doing? What's that other coach over there doing that's that my kid's coach isn't doing? Maybe the grass is greener. Maybe we should move around. What do you say to parents that are constantly shopping coaching opportunities for their children? Uh, my, my great friend, Bill Norris, who was ATP trainer for like 40 years, he calls yeah. it the cafeteria approach, yeah. a little bit here and a little bit there. You know, that's crazy. You know, I've had some kids at 12 and they've been to seven different academies the time they go to college, you know, and they need to really look in the mirror. It's about them. You got to accept responsibility. You know, it has to come down to the kid. Now, sure, everybody can contribute and everybody might be able to help your kid but the more you start doing that, that can create a weakness in the child of not taking responsibility. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful with that approach. When you think the grass is greener, it's, it's usually slipperier in my experience. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I want to get back to something you said about the, the inside of the player and, and what you look for. Can competitiveness, can heart be coached or is that something that you just come out with or don't first i love these questions yeah you know a little bit of it is environmental it's a little bit family you know how you're brought up you know but it can cut both ways you look at pagula she's very entitled but she's four in the world so you know you got to be careful when people say oh the kids are soft and american kids yeah. you know you got to be careful with that you can't throw a net there but then again, you know, I got this little girl now from Ukraine who's uh, 11. I brought her over here. You know, I coach her. I'm going to represent her. I mean, she's amazing. She's just glad the sun's shining. Yeah. You could imagine how she's wired. So at right. the end of the day, um, it can be taught, but you got to know how to teach it. You got to know when to hug them and when to give them a kick in the butt. You got to know how to say it, when to say it, why to say it, when to say it. This is a, a very complex thing. But yes, it can be taught. It's easier if it's already kind of baked in a little bit to make mm -hmm. them rougher and tougher. But that's one of the reasons what I saw, what I saw in Venus and Serena, they were bulletproof. I mean, when we kept score, the whole landscape changed when we kept <laughs> score. But when we drilled, they were just like any other kid. But and so, so that is big. And then there's different levels of competitiveness. But that is the wild card. And you just hope that you can manufacture that and because that's the job of every coach watching this to make your player the best 
competitor they can be. That's it. It's not to serve the volley, the backhand. That's a different thing we'll talk about. Yeah. To make them the best competitor. No excuses. Run for every ball. I tell her by your job description, run, sweat, and shut up. That's it. Maybe, maybe not in that order for some kids, but that's their job description. And the parents all want a better competitor. And they're maybe yelling and screaming about that. And then they go out and pamper the kid and buy him a Gucci bag at the mall. I mean, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You know, you got to have off the court. But when you go on the court, you got to flip that switch. Mm. And, you know, people, listen, there was so much gratitude from Venus and Serena. They would say, Rick, thank you very much. Give me a hug every night. They brought their books to the court. This is, I wish that was in the movie. People don't realize that. But mm. when the bell rung, they were brutal, just like everybody else that we've talked about. So, right. yes, it can be taught. It's environmental, and you just got to teach them to be the best competitor they can, because let's face it, especially in today's society, it's easy to blame everybody else. Sure, sure. We're going to talk about the technical side of the game in a few minutes, but I want to jump into your thoughts around what the role of the parent is in this junior tennis journey. And and I'm glad that you and I are on the same page, that this is a process. You know, what what's going on in the 12 and unders is just one tiny step in the whole journey. It's not the end all be all. Um, and, and I know as parents and, you know, look, I went through it myself with my kid. We get caught up with the ratings and the rankings and the results and who beat whom and what does the draw look like and who's cheating and, you know, all of these things. But at the end of the day, as an accomplished coach who's worked with some very accomplished players, where does the parent fit into all of this, Rick? Okay. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the parent is huge. First off, they have to be almost more like a psychologist, okay, mm -hmm. because the kid's looking at them as mom or dad. And it's you got to be real tricky with that. It can cut a bunch of different ways. So first off, the parent has to be aware of that. Okay. Cause they're always going to look at them as mom and dad. The parent's going to go home with them that night, close the door and eat dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but they get so immersed in this thing. The number one thing, they got to be so motivating and so supportive and encouraging because a lot of times kids, especially in those younger age groups, they're going to miss balls just because they got little arms and legs and their brains not developed. Yeah, I mean, people win and lose because they're bigger or stronger. People win and lose because they've had more opportunity or they've been playing longer. Mm. You know, so there's many reasons for success. And listen, no one's had more probably national champions in the 12s and 14s than Rick Macy. So I've seen this go many different ways. That doesn't mean you're going to play at UCLA. Doesn't mean you're going to be on the pro tour. All I'm saying is it's a journey. It's a process. And I know everybody wants to be number one in the 12, 14, 16, 18, and go to Wimbledon. They might be watching Wimbledon. They're probably not going to be playing. So they got to understand, be the best you can be. It's about building your game. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. It's that you got to fail to succeed. And that's even a problem in coaching because they train the kids not to lose because they want the kids to win. They don't want them to go somewhere else. They want to attract more kids. More business. I get it. I know the drill. But at the end of the day, I've never been wired like that. And that's why I've built players very differently. Okay, the way I kind of do this thing. 
and I look at the bigger picture. I get the ingredients, you know, I mix it up, I bake it, I put it in the oven, then I put the icing on it. And, you know, they can go on the pro tour because I'm running a business. So at the end of the day, that's what my message would be a parent. You got to motivate them, support them. That's what you're there for. Unfortunately, tennis is one of the hardest and easiest sports to teach. If you hit it in the net, the parent's going to say aim higher. If you hit it long, more topspin. Okay, and the parents always chime in. And I say to them, did you play? No. Uh, how do you think they're feeling? They're 12 years old. They didn't miss it on purpose. You know, so I try to educate the parents about this process because they don't understand the mental part and how the kids feeling nervous wise. They don't understand the technical. So you could imagine once the parents get comfortable, some of them are even telling me what to do on a technical <laughs> point of view. And that's the art of coaching to keep your mouth shut and just figure it out because I'm there for the kid. And that was never more obvious than with Venus and Serena. Sure, sure. You mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, not taking your kid out to the mall and buying him a Gucci bag. And then you talk about being supportive and encouraging. And I think for some parents, maybe those two things are synonymous. If I'm supportive and encouraging in my kid, it means when they do a good job, I take them out and indulge them in, you know, with some material object or experience or whatever. But I suspect, and we haven't discussed this yet, but I suspect that's not really what you're talking about when you say encourage and support your child. No, I mean, you know, give your best effort, have a great attitude, be super positive, you know, have goals, you know, watch video, you know, watch matches, you know, just give your best effort and 100%. That's what I mean by supportive. I don't mean, you know, if they win, you're going to, you know, go out and, and buy them something. I think that could be a little bit dangerous. Yeah, you know, they yeah. just, it, it, it just, that just doesn't work. I've never seen that. Okay. Really work. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's not one size fits all. So right. what I mean by supportive, give them the opportunity, put them in the best environment, do the best you can know that you're always there for them to do whatever. And it's hard because the parent, let's face it. A lot of the parents, they're looking at that kid and that's really them. Yeah. That's them out there playing back in the day because that's it. And it is a piece of them, but they look at it like that, you know, and that's unfortunate, you know, and like Roddick, when I had Roddick, you know, his mom and dad would say, you carry your own water. You carry your own bag. This is your thing. But they raised two other boys. So yeah. they kind of knew, you know, John, I had him for three years. We went to Georgia All-American. And yeah. their older yeah. one, Lawrence, was a championship diver. So they kind of knew that part of it. You And you if you want to make them competitive, you can't really pamper them about this stuff. Supporting them and pampering them, that's two different things. Mm. They got to own it. They got to own this thing. But a lot of parents, they you even saw it in the Venus movie when she lost. She wanted to, Richard wanted to carry the bag. And Venus goes, no, I'll carry it. Yeah. And that that's how they were. And I think that's really important for the parents. But it's hard because they get so deep into this. They don't even know what's going on. Well, and I think, too, that a lot of times, you know, first of all, let me just say parents do what they do from a place of love. I 100 percent believe that. And for any kids that are listening to this, you need to understand that 
your parents aren't perfect, but what they're doing, they're doing from a place of love. That said, I think a lot of times we as parents get caught up in this whole kind of cycle of wanting our kids to be the best they can be and, and really wanting to create opportunities for our kids to shine. And there's this fine line as, as you keep illustrating here between indulgence and providing opportunities for a child to develop intrinsic motivation and wanting to do well, just for the sake of wanting to do well. And, and I think that's really a tricky line to straddle for a lot of parents. I I know I had a horrible time with that. And um, so I, I love what you're saying about, you know, it's important to let the kids do for themselves. It's important for kids to lose. It's important for them to have failures the younger they have the failures and learn from them, hopefully the fewer failures they'll have when it really counts for something, right? No question. Listen, I mean, not the key. I'm going to get off the Venus Serena stuff, but Venus never won a practice match for like three years at my academy. Now, you got to remember, even though she's playing people a few years older mm-hmm. and mainly boys, think about it. If that doesn't happen nowadays, at an academy, you're going somewhere else. Right. It has to be someone's fault. So you got to understand, you know, and and Venus would actually come up to me and say, Rick, can you let me beat someone? But, it, you know, all this stuff was making them rougher and tougher. Now, people might say, oh, they're going to lose confidence. No, because it was all about the future. It was about, for them, it was about pro tennis. This was never really about college. And everybody's goal should be very simple. Great attitude, you know, be incredibly positive get along with others, you know, and this is about getting the best college scholarship, do amazing in school. Then if this gravitates to pro, that's icing on the cake. Because mm-hmm. only 1% are going to play pro. And even them, all the money's at the top. Right. You know, if you're three, four, 500, you know, that might be fun to do for a while, but then you're going to go to the real world. But all these yeah. yesterdays of failure will lead you to better days in the future. So, but it's hard. But the way I teach, that's a positive error. You did the right thing. You lost the battle. You won the war. I don't get into that. How could you miss that shot? Unless it was stupid. So that's the art of coaching. You know what I'm saying? So that's a whole different, that's a whole different podcast. So, but the parents, well, they didn't miss a ball. And they get into all this stuff. And like you said, UTR and national rankings. And I get all that. There's a barometer. I had one analyst say, hey, you're the same UTR as you were four months ago. And I said, okay, what what does that mean? You know, because some people can fudge a ranking or it's you're getting better or you're getting worse. And that's all that matters. Like Roddy, who's one in the country in the 12s, he went to like six in the 14s, like 14 in the 16s. He grew seven inches. By 18, he was one in the world in the juniors because his serve became supersonic and his forehand became just dynamic. You got to understand when you grow and you get bigger, this changes too. A lot of these kids, you know, they have trouble when they're young because they can't handle failure. They're just wired different. The brain is not developed yet. I mean, in the beginning, when people ask me, I never thought Serena would be better. I saw inner qualities the competitiveness and all the time in the world. And she kind of knew where the ball was going, Mm -hmm. but she was like a little prankster. 
And when I told her this at the red carpet, she's on the ground crying because she's a mother now and she looks at it through a different lens. Sure. It was like she was never stick to it. Where VW, 14, bang, she was ready to roll. Serena, she turned pro at 16 and she got crushed by a girl 180. It's not where you start. It's where you finish. And I hope everybody watching this, you know, listens to what I say, because no one's been on a tennis court from age 22, more than myself doing this. And I still teach 50 hours a week, seven days, no matter what age or level. Let's switch gears a little bit, Rick. And I want to talk a little bit about the technical side of tennis, because you're known as a technician. I mean, you, you are the best of the best in terms of teaching technique. But at some point, there is a balance between the technical side of the game, the movement piece of the game, and the mental emotional piece of the game. And I'm curious, do you feel like there's an age or a stage in junior development by which time if a kid doesn't have the technical down pat, they're just not going to be able to manage or is this something that can be taught by the right coach at any stage of the process first off i love the question and let me back the truck up a second i'm (laughs) probably the one of the better guys with biomechanics but dr brian gordon my partner he has his phd in biomechanics he did his thesis on this stuff and the stuff we put out there long ago became cutting edge way above the curve so i would put brian you know there but how to say it why to say it when to say it how to articulate that to the athlete i think that's where i come in and probably do this better than anybody but to answer your question the game has gotten much quicker and faster the last five ten years Mm -hmm. you look at you look at footage from the past it almost looks like in slow motion yeah even you know five years ago it looks different and the rackets the technology the string the athlete so Stroke mechanics at an all-time high. Now, that being said, you got to remember, that's in the eye of the beholder, okay? And there's so many people out there regurgitating, you know, kind of what we put out there, you know, how the ATP forehand should be hit or the ATP backhand or just the biomechanics of the serve. And people, other coaches, they look at certain people, even if they're on the pro tour and really good, but are they doing it optimal? And that's where this becomes tricky. You know what I mean? Who are you watching? And there's so many details with this, but there is not, I tell people, there's not a wrong way or a right way. There's a better way. Look how Venus hit her backhand. I tried to change it and she convinced me not to. And her backhand down the line open stance is one of the five greatest shots, in my opinion, in women's tennis. So, you know, that's a good coach not going in there and doing just what I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. So- But that being said, with the guys, there is more optimal technique, uh, the way you should be taught. And if anybody's teaching the way they were taught, or if they're not teaching the way it should be, like you see on the men's pro tour, you're really not continuing your education and you're doing a disservice to the juniors because some of these kids, they don't even hold the grip right. Okay, they got backswings that, you know, go back to North Korea or wherever. It's like crazy. And then you hear the same message when they get 14 or 15. Your backswing's too big. Your elbow's coming too close. Hit the ball in front of you, blah, blah, blah. But 
that's kind of good for me because then they come here and I put Humpty Dumpty together and I can fix a lot of this stuff. But once you get that muscle memory baked in, it's very hard to reverse engineer this, especially when you're older. All right. So the technical is huge, but that's in the eye of the beholder who's teaching the technique. So that's number one. Number two, the movement is the most important thing, because if you can get to the ball, then you have options. You can play offense. You can play defense. You're going to be calmer. Okay. You're going to feel less stressed. So the movement, and that is in a bunch of different things. It's not just footwork. It's not just speed and quickness. It's not just genetics. Okay. Like I said, Serena knew where the ball was going. Kind of like Hingis. VW, when you hit the ball behind her, she didn't change directions well. Kind of like Sharapova. But Venus had enough makeup speed. If she was bad, she could get to the ball. So this movement stuff comes in all shapes and sizes. But movement's a premium, no doubt about it. Uh, The stroke mechanics, unfortunately, I've seen it cost players on the Pro Tour millions of dollars because of a crazy grip that they've mastered all through the juniors. I'm just telling you, and I've had a couple that I started teaching at 18. And even though they got the 30, they could have been top five mm-hmm. and they could have won $20 million on the tour. And I'm just saying, this is, uh, this is tricky. And that's why when you get them young, if they're in the right hands, biomechanically, I think the technical part is the most important when the kid is young, a lot of, uh, coaches, they just want the kid to hit the ball over the net, have fun, blah, blah, blah. I get that. That's not a problem, but if you're looking to be the best you can be, go to college, the best college, or even pro, you know, the cards you're dealt at a young age, they're with you for for life. I see the same little hole in people's games that I had when they were kids on the pro tour. The hole's not as bigger, but under pressure, it always comes out. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I see the same exact thing. So first off, it's a great question. Then obviously the mental part, how you handle problems. Okay. Cause that's what tennis is. You got 20 seconds to make it happen like it 20 years ago. And if you don't have the ability to forget, this is the wrong sport. You should play another sport. At least you got teammates that you can blame it on or they can be like a therapist. (laughs) That's why some people like doubles. Think about this. And I need everybody to understand this. When people play doubles and the person misses a shot, immediately they hug and they high five and everything's great. And that feeling of frustration or disappointment, bang, it's gone. Mm -hmm. But in singles, it's with you like Velcro. And why is it in doubles? And that's why some people are better in doubles and singles because of the mental part. Forget covering half the court and the return and serve. But they they it's they handle things better because there's only you got someone there like a therapist to help you out. So this is really important that you show all the kids how to volley because and that's probably the least practiced thing in junior tennis because yeah. everybody rather die slowly at the baseline <laughs> at, the, at the net. That's like sudden death. And I do that backwards. You know, I try to get the kids to take it out of the air and. You know, no one did that more than a lot of people, Sharapova, Vina, Serena, Capriotti. The minute the ball's in the air, bang, they're going in there. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I know I kind of went off the question, but it was a great question. And I hope everybody can understand it. Well, and and that kind of begs the question, because we're seeing a continual decline in doubles opportunities in junior tennis here in the States. 
How important is it for these kids to be playing doubles through their development years? It's major league, you know, and it's unfortunate. I get why, you know, there's a time element and it's all about singles and stuff, but developmentally, you know, it's huge. You know, you're, you're at the net and you have to volley whether you fail or succeed, but here's what happens when you do it in a match and you have success, you prove it to yourself, you get the big C. And when you get confidence, that changes the whole landscape. It changes everything. Your coach can pitch you balls or I can feed you balls. And that's one aspect of developing. But when you do it, when the fans are in the stands, because you have to in doubles, Mm -hmm. you're going to be up there whether you like it or not. And once you prove it, because let's face it, some people are scared. A little more maybe on the female side of getting hit by the ball or whatever. I mean, when you make people do things and then they don't want to do it, but you make them do it and they have success, then they go on to the next thing. And this is what a coach has to do. You put them, you got them in, put them in positions where they're uncomfortable. So they become comfortable. So it's sad about doubles. And when we play here, we do this very different. They got to serve and volley on both serves and everybody hates it because they can't volley. The returns are at their feet. They hate it. And I even tell them some days you take the second serve, you got to come in. So all four people are at the net. It's really, it's, it's the way I look at it is different. I'm just trying to develop, you know, because once the kid believes everything changes. Yeah. What's your stance on match play practice matches and, and how things are in the current landscape? Well, first off, I think kids should play more matches. Okay. Remember what I said to become the best competitor you can be, you need to compete. Um, and I know the Williamses didn't play tournaments for three and a half years. That was kind of Richard's idea. But at the end of the day, we just developed, but they played a match every day. Mm-hmm. Every single day, they played a match in the afternoon. And I created the closest thing to showtime. Kids need to compete because it's one thing to hit with your coach where you feel no pressure. And this is another thing. Parents got to understand. You want your kids to play people better. You got to play people your level and you got to play people worse. When you have nothing to gain and everything to lose, your mind will get stronger. Listen, I picked up a racket when I was 12 years old in a small town of Greenville, Ohio. No one taught me how to play. And pretty, I got really good, really quick, no lessons. And I always played people that I could beat easily. And I became number one in Ohio Valley at 18 years old. No lessons. It's a crazy story, you know, but I had other attributes. But at the end of the day, the mental strength, you like you you want to beat them or you you can work on your game because you know you're going to win. And this is what people don't want to do. I always want to play people better. Mm. You get better mentally by pay, playing people worse when you're supposed to win. OK, say like one and one and it's five and five. These how this is how you're going to get better. You don't start off in the semis. You got to go first round, second round, third round, 16 quarter semis. So the parents got to understand that you can get value out of hitting against the wall. Sellers used to hit against the wall two hours a day. I mean, it always came back, but yeah, people, but this is not the way society is. Yeah. I got to play people better. I got to, that's how I'm, and there's a place for that. I get it. You're going to, it will elevate your game. But it's unrealistic with making a kid sometimes mentally stronger with handling pressure. But I think a kid, if possible, should play a match three or four times a week. Okay, tournament, it all depends on the schedule, at least two or three a month. You got to compete, learn how to win, learn how to lose. Okay, 
And remember, at 17, you're going to make a decision. Who wants me on their team? How are my grades? Am I going to get along with nine other people on a team? All these college coaches, I know them all. I've done this a long time. Rick, they asked me, how's their attitude? How's their potential? How they get along with others? These are huge questions they ask me. They know their UTR. I've got people into Ivy League schools and the coach never even saw them play. And mm -hmm. they weren't nationally ranked about their potential. Right. So the parents have to understand all these aspects. But you should play as many matches as you can, anybody, anytime, anywhere, that you got to feel the pressure. I love those questions that you shared you're getting from the college coaches, because I tell parents this all the time. The coaches aren't looking at your win-loss record. They're not looking at those random metrics that are out there. They want to know what kind of person this kid is yeah. and will they fit into my program? And uh, I'm so glad you reiterated that because uh, it's important for parents to know that and understand it. And, you know, another thing that I do because I email for the kids, I help them with the video when they want to go to college and I tell them, listen, I'm the most honest guy about this stuff. If I'm going to say you're a jackrabbit, I'm going to say you're a jackrabbit. If I think your movements, yeah, I'm not going to say a turtle, but if I don't <laughs> think you're that fast, I'm going to tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell them about your work ethic and your attitude. Okay. And, you know, are you a leader or I'm going to tell them. And so by me kind of subtly kind of putting that out there when I got them at 15 and 16, I can change not just strokes, but I change people's lives. And this is what I do more than anything, because they might listen to me more than the parent in this arena. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. They, they might do it just out of fear. Oh, I hope I get a good scouting report from Rick. But that's the art of motivation to get people to do things maybe they wouldn't. Right. A lot of the players you've worked with have had parent coaches involved in the process. What advice do you give to parents that say, you know, I've studied the game, maybe they played themselves. I want to be part of the coaching team for my child. How do parents make that work? It's such a, a tough call. Yeah, no, you know, it's like, besides the household names from, you know, Capriotti and Pierce and Williams and Sharapova. Yeah. I mean, it's always daddy's little girl. I don't get that a lot from the guys. I didn't get that from Roddick's parents. Okay, it's used because there's daddy's little girl. They want to protect. I get it. Some of them never even play tennis. Some of them never played sports and they, they, but you know what? I learned long ago, they're going to do whatever they want. So I might as well educate them. <laughs> I'm going to teach them. They're going to do whatever they want. And I let them pick up the balls. I talk to them. It's a team effort. The days of them dropping the kid off and them going somewhere that doesn't happen anymore. Hmm. They're Velcro parents, helicopter. They're involved. I embrace it. No problem. But I try to tell them, you know, you don't know all, I'd say it like that. You don't, they, there's so many nuances mm. to the game. Listen, you know, I train Richard. I train Stefano Capriotti. I mean, when you're with someone five, six hours a day, every day, you know, for four years, and they're hearing exactly what you say and stuff like that, that's huge. That's better yeah. than a coaching seminar anytime or a certification. So if they want to learn, and there's many, the technical part, 
the parents will never understand that because that takes a lot of experience to understand biomechanics. That's a different animal. But the other parts, the attitude, maybe the strategic a little bit, that's easier to grasp, okay, and how to shape someone's attitude. So I'm all for the parents, you know, uh, chiming in, but they got to remember their mom and dad first and they're the assistant coach second. Yeah, love that, love that. Yeah. All right, we're, we're coming to to the end of our hour, which I can't believe this is going so quickly. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question that has come up repeatedly very recently is this whole kind of shift. And it's been gradual because this was going on when my son was playing too. This shift away from putting kids in brick and mortar, normal school and putting them into virtual schools or, you know, an academy setting where they're not in a regular school with non-tennis kids and peers and all of that. What are you seeing down in Florida with that? I, I kind of already know the answer, but, and what's your attitude about that? Uh, well, first off, another great question. This obviously started, uh, you know, way back when he picked up steam in the nineties. Um, the problem with that is people see other people getting more repetitions, more court time, more practice time. So they say, you know, I got to do virtual or I got to go, you know, to an academy and so on and so forth. You know, I get all that. Okay. Like I said earlier, the grass is always greener. There's pros and cons. It's not one size fits all. You know, sometimes you do have to move if you don't have it in New York or Vermont or Michigan, I get that, but there's nothing the matter with going to a regular school. What we do here is different. I'm on the court every day at six. The kids play for a couple hours and they go to some of the best schools in Boca Raton. And then they get out at three o'clock and they get the rest of their tennis in. But just to start doing virtual, I don't think that's the best thing. I think they need to be around other kids. I think you got to develop the whole person. I think you there's just too many things you're going to miss out on if you're just, you know, doing a virtual thing. Mm -hmm. But to do homeschool, I mean, to do a school at an academy or whatever, if we're with other people, that's something different. But just to do virtual, I think that can be tricky. I think you don't, you lose on, you lose out on a lot of subtle things you need as a, a teenager, it's not a race to the finish line. You got to develop the whole person because as you get older, life is about balance, like a good tennis shot. Okay. It's about balance, you know, and you got to be tricky, but when the parents on a mission and they're going hundred miles an hour, they just think more is better. And when they go to that first step, then they, after a while, then they, that's not working. I'm going to another place. Mm. They just keep redoing the same thing. So you can go to a normal school. It is about repetitions. It's not who plays the most, who makes it to the top. Okay. It's the quality of the production that's going on on a regular basis. Yes. And then just get your competition in. Listen, I've just done this for so long. It's it's not about who hits the most tennis balls. It's, it's not about that because you could be hitting a lot more balls than someone else. But what if you're hitting them wrong? Right. <laughs> you know, there's too many layers to your question. Uh, yeah. So I think it's not one size fits all, but you can go to a regular school and still become a champion. I guarantee it because it's what's inside. And I think it's more important, especially as the kids are young, uh, develop that that child when they're young and develop other qualities. 
agree a hundred percent. I'm so glad to hear you say yes. that. And uh, thank you for, for sharing those insights. All right. One last question, Rick, yeah. what do you love about tennis? Um, well, first off, I, I love everything. You know, I'm a coach and a teacher and with a lot of these kids, obviously a role model and a father figure. I just love helping others, you know, whether it be on a tennis court or life coaching, uh, that's kind of what I was meant to do. And that's been the cornerstone ever since I started doing this at 22. I mean, listen, I, I still teach 50 hours a week. I teach more than anybody in the country. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm blessed. I love every day. I just love helping others more than myself. And I'm always intrigued to figure it out. And the tougher the kid, okay, because I don't want the perfect student. I don't mind if they have a bad attitude because I look as a challenge to get them to be positive. I love the challenges and that's the sign of, you know, a good coach because you're going to not just change the player, you're going to change someone's life. So mm -hmm. I've always looked at it like that. I just love helping others, whether it's an 80 year old guy, which I had, who was number one in the nation. He wanted to learn the ATP forehand or the number one 12 year old in the, in the United States or someone on the pro tour or a six year old. And I tell this to everybody um, who's ever on the other side of the net. That hour, that minute, that second, that's my favorite student. I just love helping others. And if you have that passion, uh, you don't look at the clock. You don't worry about, oh, I got to work today. I can't wait. When I get up, I can't wait to go out there and help the kids because uh, I was meant to do this and I feel great about it. And I know I'm making an impact with other people's lives. And that's the best feeling in the world. Your passion just oozes out of you. And uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> If our listeners are interested in learning more about what you have to offer coming to train at your academy, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? And we will have this information in the show notes on parentingaces.com. Well, this is going to be crazy. But first off, it's info at rickmacy.com. If anybody wants to email me, believe it or not, my phone number is everywhere. 561-445-2747. My daughter's right next to me. People call and I answer the phone and they go, wait a minute, is this real? Is this really Rick on the phone? And then they hear my voice. They go, that's like the guy in the movie, you know, the kind of the accent. I love it. So no, this is me. It's hands-on personal. Um, you know, they can go to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I have a lot of free content, amazing tips for coaches, you know, cause I'm at the stage where I want to help other coaches, you know, how you say it and all this stuff, but, uh, they can call me, they can email me. I actually certify coaches. They come down and they get on the court with me. They watch this met. They're blown away. Yeah. It's not the biomechanics, how I deal with the parent. Okay. How I do this. And I go from a 20 year old to a 10 year old to maybe in a, a 3.5 lady and for eight hours straight. And they're just fascinated with how this is put together. So I certify coaches. I analyze videos. Okay. There's a thing called Netricks. It's out there. It's like all these videos I did. It's like nine, eight dollars a year. It's like all this good stuff. So there's there's many ways to connect with me. But if they send me an email or even call me or whatever, uh, they can do that. It's www.rickmacy.com. I'm in Boca Raton, Florida. Rick Macy Tennis Center. High performance players. We have a $10,000 UTR tournament every weekend, 52 weekends a year. We owe, A bad draw is over 100 people. Wow. We got the greatest show on earth in South Florida. We've turned this into something very spectacular, but all ages, all levels from five all the way up to 
90 years old. I love it. I love it. Rick, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us at Parenting Aces. It's been a real pleasure meeting you. And um, I look forward to more conversations in the future. Uh, Nice meeting you. And uh, we'll definitely do it again. I love to help. Great. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community. Thank you.